some short information about myself before we get started, because I think most of you know me, but probably don't know all of the information. I think this information is kind of relevant to the background of what I'm going to talk about this morning, but I have two kids. If you haven't seen my kids, you haven't been here because my kids make all sorts of noise and they scream and they run around the church just like all the rest of the kids. I've got two. They're four and seven, son and daughter. I've been a believer since age seven. I guess I should say my name. I'm John, by the way. There you go. Get that out of the way. I've been a believer since I was seven. I didn't fully embrace my responsibility as a believer, though, until I was 15. I ended up on a church worship team, and that's really where I kind of got my context uh, for believing in God and just engaging with what it meant to be a Christian. Yes, I understood that I was saved when I was seven as much as I could have, but I, I really wasn't in touch with following Christ until around the age of 15. I've been married for 13 and a half years to, to my wife, Bethany, and I work in technology, and the reason why I bring up that is because I have this really odd relationship with technology and the Word of God. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, first off, I remember verses in the Bible because of worship music, so uh, you know, I've been up here, I've led worship a couple of times. Um, I, I, I find that as a way to meditate on His Word, so that's my primary avenue for learning the Word of God, but I also see a lot of relationships with the Word of God in my job. Um, I, I, sometimes it's inappropriate, but I'll kind of laugh a little bit when I'm at work because I relate the Word of God to the things that are going on. And one of those instances, it, it's always interesting to me. I don't know if this happens to you. Maybe it does. But the Lord relates my, my morning study to what goes on during my day. And so a lot of the times these events just crop up. So one time I, uh, working in technology, I do software upgrades and all sorts of other things. And I had a system that I was working on that I had, uh, I never really liked it. It had always been broken. I didn't really want to touch it. Anybody that works in technology, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's those systems you just want nothing to do with because they're just trouble. Just always are. But I had to, right? Somebody has to. It always ends up being someone's job. So I did an upgrade on this system, and uh, you, you get blamed. That's why I didn't want to touch it, right? Anything that goes wrong with it, it already had problems. I did an upgrade on it, and as soon as I did the upgrade, the team that used that system came back, and they were complaining it wasn't working properly. Now, I knew that that system had had these problems before I had ever touched it, um, and they were, they were saying, oh, well, before you touched it, it was working great. And the first thing that came to mind was... was um, the, the Jews out in the desert, I guess I was, and I just kind of blurted out something. I said, you talk about this system like it was the time of the Jews uh, when they were in Egypt. Oh, how we had pots of meat and, and bread until we were full. And you know full well you were getting beat, right? <laughs> just forget that aspect of the story. We had meat and bread, guys. We were great until you touched this. And I said, I didn't upgrade this system to have you starve in the desert. So she was a believer. Fortunately, I just kind of <laughs> blurted that out. I don't know what would have happened if she hadn't been a believer, right? <laughs> She'd have been like, whoa, this guy's crazy. Uh, she understood the context. I got a little bit of a laugh out of there. But <laughs> that was just, I often see that relationship. I'll kind of hit on that just a little bit more uh, this morning as we go through the word. But I am blessed that the Lord has allowed me to be a light in the workplace, in the professional world. It's a unique world, uh, business world, um, but the Lord's really allowed me to be in the position that I'm in uh, to shine his light. I, I think it's really interesting to me, and I don't know if you think about this too, but I would encourage you to do so, um, especially in business. I often think about the context of 
stuff that comes up like ethics training. And basically, I was going through ethics training not too long ago. Most companies require you to do it every year. And then I have to take manager ethics training, which is even more fun. Um, and I'm reading through the training slides, and I'm going, hey, that's a proverb. That's a proverb right there. It's really interesting to me how in the professional world, they, they do have to adhere to biblical wisdom, right? Uh, I would never call it that, but it's, it's very interesting to me um, that we see that. So I get a lot of opportunity to see that. I feel like God kind of opened my, my, uh, my heart to that one day because I had always kind of separated my professional life away from um, my personal life with God. I always said, you know, personal life equals God, right? Got a relationship with God. We worship God. I was leading worship and doing stuff like that. But for some reason, I had in my mind, professional life equals hard work. Not, there was not a context there for God, right? I don't know, I don't know why that block was there, but God really convicted me of that one day. Because um, I was met with a challenge as a manager that I had never faced before. Right? And that was, that was really tough. And I didn't really have a choice but to open that part of my life to God. So uh, I did that. I don't understand why I'd never done it before, but that was just one of those blocks that I had in my mind. So if you work in the professional world, I know there are a lot of guys that work in technology just like I do. I just want to encourage you um, in that way this morning. God can help you with those technical challenges. He can help you with those management challenges or whatever else you have on your plate. And this morning we're going to talk about how we have a good shepherd. We're going to be um, in John chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and open up, we're going we're gonna to talk about the good shepherd this morning. We're going to focus on um, what Christ is talking about here uh, when he's talking to the Pharisees. And we're also just going to focus on how that impacts us and what that means to us in our hearts. So go ahead and open up to John chapter 10. Um, and let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you that you are the good shepherd, Father. I pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Not the words that I have to say, Father, but um, through obedience I've prepared, Father. I pray that you would just speak what you would have me to say this morning. I pray that our hearts would be impacted, Father. Um, I pray that your, your presence would be felt in this place this morning. You be lifted up. You be glorified through what we do here this morning, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to we're going to kind of do things a little differently than, uh, than we typically do them. But I, I'd like for us to read through John chapter 10. It's not that long. But let's read through the word. And then we'll kind of go back and we'll digest that in little chunks. So go ahead and make your way there. And we'll bring it up on the screen so you can read it. So John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they by no means will follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you were not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. In verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I, I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? Then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. So we, we start here in chapter 10, and he's kind of in the midst of uh, a situation that actually occurred in chapter 9. So we really need to kind of take a step back talk about chapter 9 for just a second and kind of get some context for what's going on there because he's talking about the situation that occurred there. He's talking to the Pharisees here. So in chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. That's great. I mean, for us, that would be really awesome, right? Wasn't so great for the Pharisees, though, uh, because they found out about this, and Jesus was, of course, healing on the Sabbath, right? That's, uh, he did that quite a bit. So they launched an investigation into what was going on. Because uh, Jesus wasn't keeping the Sabbath, and they needed to find some evidence. They needed some concrete testimony here about what Jesus had done. 
Um, so they, they interviewed the man's parents, um, and they basically copped out. And we'll talk about why they copped out in chapter 9 a little bit later as we get into this text. But they didn't really want to give an answer. They were scared. So instead of that, they said, you know what? Just go ahead and ask our son. Um, so the son explained to the Pharisees how the healing happened. He said Jesus was from God. And uh, they were very displeased to hear this. This was not what they wanted. This did not fit with their narrative it did not fit with what they saw as appropriate with religion. This was just, everything was just breaking down in front of them, and they weren't getting the answers that they were looking for. They were pretty displeased with this healed man's attitude as well. And so in chapter 9, they cast him away and said, get out of our presence, because they were unhappy. So then we, we pick up here in chapter 10, um, the beginning of chapter 10. I'm going to go by the headings that we have in the New King James. So the first section that we're going to talk about here is uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Jesus establishes himself as the true shepherd. So before we, we kind of hop into that, I kind of want to give some context here. And I read a bunch of the commentary uh, related to this uh, chapter in John. And everybody seems to pick up on this one point. I'm not going to hit on it a whole lot, but I think it's really import, important for our understanding this morning. Um, so George Adam Smith uh, wrote a book called The Historical Geography of the Holy Land. And in this book, we kind of get some context for shepherding that was going on. Because he actually spent some time with the folks that are doing some shepherding practices there in Judea. Um, this was back in the late 19th century. Uh, was when this book was published. He gives us a picture of the shepherding that was going on there, though. Um, and it's not a pretty picture, right? These guys are like weather-beaten. <laughs> they're outside. They're hanging out with these sheep, I imagine, Though he didn't say it, they probably didn't smell very good. Um, and they, they looked fairly worn. But the reason uh, why this was important is because he was looking at the selflessness of their sheep tending. Right? And that's really what we see outlined here um, in the word was the selflessness. And that was an example. Um, he also talked about in the book, um, that was an example that the shepherding was, was something that they looked up to. And so people that were responsible for other people were called shepherds. Um, and so that, that seems like a very relevant reference here for, for Jesus being the true shepherd. So as we pick up here in the beginning of, of chapter 10, um, we, we see that uh, in verse number one, he talks about those who came before him. Um, they presented themselves as a path to God. They weren't a path to God. They had manipulated. There's only one path to God. Uh, but that's what they, they came before. Um, and so he's talking about them entering the sheepfold uh, by climbing up some other way as a thief and a robber. And we'll, we'll hit on the thief and the robber uh, just a little bit further into the text. But initially, that's what he's talking about. He's calling them out as presenting themselves in a way that is, uh, is not the path to God. And we see that in our current culture. It's not like something that's ended. Uh, we see that with universalism. And that's really commonplace in our culture uh, for people to accept that because it makes people feel good, right? I think that's the universalism aspect of it is there's not a responsibility there to follow after what the word says. There's a responsibility to feel good about it. And that's a, that's a common theme amongst the Pharisees is feeling good about what they were doing. And I, I think we're all guilty of that, right? If we do some introspection on ourselves, our flesh loves to be comforted. We like for our flesh to feel good. And so 
we, I think we're all guilty of it. I know I'm guilty of it. Manipulating, trying to interpret, uh, we do that. That's part of our sin nature, and that's what we have to resist, and we have to turn to God, and we have to ask for forgiveness for that. But instead of doing that, the Pharisees were embracing that, and that also goes on. And that's a, a very dangerous point. Oftentimes, I get into conversations with folks about different choices that folks make in their life or, or different things like that. And one of the things that comes up is when you have a believer that's, that's got a sin in their life and they're choosing to live with that sin, that, that is a big distinction. And the book of Romans helps us to kind of have a barometer there. Because having sin in your life is natural to all of us. We all sin, every one of us. But those of us that are seeking after Christ ask for forgiveness. We don't embrace that. We don't build it a little pedestal in our life. And we don't foster that. But what we're going to see here is that the Pharisees do that. They take that and they manipulate and they turn all of that into something that they desire. Instead of turning away from that um, and believing in Jesus and following after what God would have them to do, um, they kind of build a little pedestal for it and say, no, I want to harden. That's where that hardening of heart comes from, is, is from internalizing that and taking that out. We also see that Jesus says his sheep know his voice. And to me, there's a willingness and there's a familiarity there. Um, this is what we experience in our obedience to Christ. I, I think about when I, when I read over that, I guess, I don't know. I think about my kids a lot. If you ever have a, a sidebar conversation with me, you know that. But I think about my relationship with my son when I think about somebody knowing my voice. Um, I'm at a point, my, my son's four. I'm at a point where he knows my dad voice. Right? I think most dads have the dad voice. It's funny because I've accidentally used the dad voice against other people. If I, my son's passed somebody and they're in, they're in front of and I shouted at him one day and some lady turned and looked at me and I was like, not you. I wasn't talking to you. I'm sorry about that. So, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a very powerful voice there. But um, he knows when he hears my dad voice that I'm being serious. Now, because of my human relationship with my son, right, there's some flaws in it. Most of the time, I'm, I'm using my dad voice for disciplinary reasons. Right? I have to tell my son, no, stop picking your nose. Don't hit your sister. Don't crush the cat's trachea. Right? That's, those are the sorts of things that I'm typically shouting at my son. But my son doesn't typically have a doubt about my voice there. And so I kind of, I see that in, in that relationship, right? He's learned my voice. And it's because of correction that he's learned that. And hopefully he doesn't grow up to be a teenager that picks his nose and hits his sister and crushes the cat's trachea. Um, hopefully I'm leading him in the right ways. But here in the godly example, this isn't about punishment. It's about a loving relationship filled with obedience. So my son, oftentimes, he just, he resists that, right? He's, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen kids do that. He's, oh, dad, uh, he did it to me this morning. He's just like, oh, I can't take it. But for us, that's not how it should be with our relationship with God. It should be about obedience and, and a desire uh, to follow after that because it's a loving relationship, right? We shouldn't every time, oh, God, oh, I don't want to do that. You're going to make me be a missionary in South Africa, right? We should be obedient to God because he loves us. And as we'll see, he desires good things for us. I don't know why we as humans resist that so much. I find myself doing it too. I have something in my text, hopefully, that we'll get to that I'll kind of share about that. But I think we all do that. We all just kind of resist God we resist what he would have for us, even when we don't intend to. Um, so. Also, we see here in this section, he goes before them as a sign of protection. Um, now, he's also leading them, but I think it's important to look at the protection aspect of this. And we see that um, 
something comforting about that in Deuteronomy 130. Uh, God addresses the Israelites and he says, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And that same thing stands true for us. So yes, he is leading the sheep, but he's also going before them. And he's talking about that here. And I think that's true for us when we're seeking after God's will. And we've got to cling to that. That's something that we've got to be able to, to know in our relationship with God. Every time we're passing our thoughts through our little brain filters about what's going on and we've been presented with a situation, what is it that's going on there? Do we honestly think that God's leading us out into the desert so that we would starve? Right? That's not the case. And so after stating all these things, though, definitely they didn't get it. <laughs> They're just like, hey, Jesus, that's great. That's cool. But do you mind rephrasing that for us? So he knows that. I often think it's interesting because Jesus knows what's going on in other people's hearts. We don't have that luxury. Would be kind of cool if we did, but we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. So then we move into another illustration here. And we talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. And so he takes a, a, a bit more of a direct approach here, um, starting in verse number seven. Um, and he's specifically calling out the Pharisees here because they're presenting themselves as the way, right? But they're thieves and robbers. They're twisting people's relationship with God into something that fits their selfish desires. And we see that in verse 10 here. It's especially strong to me. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I think that that's really important because we can see a contrast between what Jesus is trying to do here and what the ultimate goal of the Pharisees is. What's the goal behind what they've done? They're, they're seeking after something for themselves. They're seeking after promotion for themselves. He uses an example here where he talks about a hireling. And initially when I read this, it didn't click. I don't know if you've read through this before. I was like, well, that's, that's a hireling, but I'm not sure I exactly understand the context of the hireling illustration here. Uh, after going through that and doing some praying about it and reading through some of the commentary, um, I definitely believe that Jesus is underscoring a very important point about the contrast between how the hireling acts towards the sheep and what the hireling's goal is versus the goal of Jesus. So we can kind of take the hireling and we can look at him in a modern context. Um, regardless of the intent, uh, and the feelings of the hireling. At the end of the day, the hireling that's, that we're talking about here with the sheep, he's using the sheep for profit, right? That's ultimately his, his goal. He's getting paid for it. Now, I don't know about your job, but I think, I think, it's John's opinion, that most of us probably wouldn't spend a whole lot of time doing our job if we weren't getting a paycheck. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I know my job is frustrating sometimes. I'm not sure I'd do it every day because I don't love the, the context of what's produced by my company, right? There's not a love relationship there. I need money to support my family. God's provided me with that job, but I don't love that work, right? But the hireling, is, he's here doing that in the same way. He's tending the sheep for profit. They absolutely need the tending. And of course, this is a normal commercial transaction that's going on here. Uh, but the hireling doesn't do it out of love. He's doing it out of utility for himself. And when that utility is ended, 
the hireling's done, right? You got a wolf that comes up? No, man, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Goodbye. You know, <laughs> he is done. And that's, that's the illustration that we see here with that hireling. We see that, you know, I think we can all relate to that in our jobs. And this is the way that the Pharisees were acting in their positions, right? They're using the sheep to gain power and promote themselves. It's all about the utility of the sheep. The question would be, would they really be Pharisees if there weren't sheep to kind of obey what they were saying? Probably not. Nobody would really care, right? They enjoyed their seats of honor and they enjoy being well-respected. Um, they were using the sheep in that way. And if you think about those things where they're enjoying their seats of honor, they're enjoying all the benefits that come with that, that requires those sheep to have an attitude towards them. Those sheep have to obey. Those sheep have to give them that input. Ultimately, they're getting the praise of men. And that's what they were after. So in verse 16, uh, we can see that Jesus talks about um, other sheep. It's really important that we point out that those other sheep are explained to us in Ephesians 2.14. I like the way that it's explained in the NLT. I listen to the NLT when I'm, I'm studying the Bible in the mornings. Um, it's, a, it's a little hard to read the New King James flying down 400. I think I'd probably get a ticket, so I listen to the NLT. <laughs> but uh, in Ephesians 2.14 in the NLT, it says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, one fold. In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So that's really what he's calling out here in verse 16. In verses 17 and 18, um, we're seeing the foretelling of Jesus on the cross. More specifically, um, the relationship of what's going on here. And I think this is a very important point for us to kind of pause on for just a second. Uh, one of the discussions that I have regularly with, uh, with my friends is the difference between Calvary Chapel and the church that they go to. Right? It's pretty common because most of my friends don't go to a Calvary Chapel. They go to some other uh, form of church, usually a non-denominational church. But you know, hey, how does that stack up? And one of the things that uh, I know from, from my history with Calvary Chapel is adopting a stance of um, when a belief does not impact your relationship with God, if it's not a staple tenet of one of the things, there's some flexibility, like people, the way that they interpret Revelation, right? There's not a, a hard, you must accept or be kicked out of the church uh, sort of stance on the book of Revelation. But then there are things that are very, very important to the definition of what's going on. And, and one of those, I think, is, is right here in 17 and 18. And we see that it, it wasn't an accident. And there are some people that teach, I guess let me preface this. There are some people that teach that what happened to Jesus was a, a course of events. That it was unstoppable because man was doing this. That it wasn't Jesus' choice. That it wasn't something that, that was done of his free will. But that it was done because there wasn't any other way around it. I think that probably goes in the same compartment as teaching that Jesus was just a man. But it wasn't an accident that Jesus was going to die on the cross. And we see that underscore here. It wasn't by that coercion of man that he was going to die on the cross. It wasn't because they were going to capture him. That wasn't the situation. There was a loving, willing obedience to the Father that he should die on the cross for us and that he should raise himself again. Therefore, Verse number 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So regardless of what anybody else teaches us out of that, we can see it plain in the word here. He chose to lay his life down. That was a choice. It was out of obedience, that obedience to the father that he did that. He also takes up his life, right? That wasn't, that wasn't some sort of uh, external act that was going on there. There was obedience. He was commanded to do that. But I think it's really important that we just kind of, we focus on that. Um, and really internalize in ourselves what that means, that he chose to die for us, right? I think sometimes um, as believers, especially if you've been a believer for a long time, you, you, I don't know, it feels like sometimes it's a microwave burrito that we kind of take that he died for us. I'm like, yes, yes, I know that, right? But that's, we should not have apathy towards the word like that. We should always Make sure that we're taking that and we're meditating on that and allowing that to be afresh in our heart every day. One of the things, you know, there are all sorts of little things. I'm not saying this because I think you should do this, but I just want to share something with you. The Lord, I feel like he nudges us on a regular basis, right? I don't often feel like the Lord just comes along and just makes some sweeping change in my life. He could. That's fine. That's, I'll talk about that in a minute, how I ended up moving here. But one of the things the Lord convicted me of one day was I'm scrolling through Facebook. He probably should have been convicting me of scrolling through Facebook. That in and of itself is a dangerous thing to do, right? Get all angry about politics, right? That's not a godly attitude to have. But one of the things I used to do, I don't know if you guys have a lot of friends like I do that post tons and tons of like kitschy Jesus things on Facebook, right? Circulate Jesus around Facebook. Here's this picture, you know, all this other kind of, I'm kind of like, okay, all right, hold on. But one of the things I had, I feel like wrongly lumped into that category was when people post verses, right? And I just scroll by them. Oh yeah, it's Matthew, you know, something like that. I felt like the Lord really convicted me of that. I'm scrolling through and I felt like the Lord said, don't resist the word, right? It's not the word of man. It's the living word of God. And I, I felt convicted of that. So I stopped doing that. And I was amazed at the different things that the Lord would speak to me when his word appeared on something as detestable as Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah. You got a picture of a cat and then you've got a, book, a chapter out of Matthew, something that's posted there, some verses, right? But allowing the Lord to, to speak to us that way. I think that's really important. Anyway, just this kind of a little aside thing that I thought I'd mention to you. But we should, we should not be apathetic towards the word of God. And we should not be apathetic towards what was done for us on the cross. At the end of this section, though, I think this is really cool. Verses 19 through 21. Jesus completely divides folks here, right? That, that wasn't that, all that uncommon, right? Um, there were those that were choosing to follow Jesus and, and believe what he said at his word, and then there were those that were not. So in verse 19... We see, therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Very important for us to note that they were looking at his works. They were looking at the product of what he says. And he's going to refer us to that later on. But for me, I take some comfort in what's going on here specifically. Um, I think it probably will come as a surprise to any of you that don't know me, but probably not a surprise to any of you that do, that I may get in a little trouble in the professional world on a regular basis. 
Um, and, and the reason why I kind of refer to myself as a wet blanket during meetings, there we go. I refer to myself as a wet blanket during meetings uh, because I'm always the one that says stuff to people technically that they probably don't want to hear. I kind of, I, I introduce the practicalities of a situation from a human perspective. I try to help people get in touch with the technical reality of the things that they're proposing. So I love it when I'm in meetings in the past. I won't talk about my current job, but I'll talk about in the past and we're in these meetings with people painting these lovely pictures of how technology is going to work. Yes, this system over here is going to plug into this one and then we're going to have one universal system within our company and we'll see every dollar we make in real time, right? That's anybody that works in technical systems knows that that is most likely a pipe dream. Um, but people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the practicalities of, of what they're saying. They don't want to hear the truth about what they're saying. They love living in their little fantastic realities about what technology does. I think AI is a really good example from a technology standpoint. Most of us that, that do programming will probably agree it's a lot of if statements, right? It's not actually, the computer's not actually thinking regardless of what Alexa does for you or Siri. It's somebody that's done a lot of work to make sure that it behaves like we want to be interacted with, um, but it's not actually thinking for us. So I think that's, that's uh, it's very interesting because I cause kerfuffles when I say things like that, right? And I can take some comfort in knowing that. I'm only following a biblical example when I do that, right? I used to think maybe it's wrong, right? And I can see here, no, Jesus was doing that. Uh, obviously, Jesus didn't have a problem with causing ruffles with things. Obviously, his truth is a lot better than my truth, right? Mine's flawed, but his that much better. But we see here that he created division. And I think a lot of the times we, as believers, feel like that's wrong for us to state the truth and then see the after effects of that, Right? Sometimes that's tough, but when you have folks, when, when we are to be light and salt on this earth and we say those things that are the truth from the word, right? Not, not necessarily the things that we make up in our own mind, but when we say the truth from the word and it causes division amongst folks, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. That's tough for us, I think emotionally for us to deal with that, right? But that shouldn't be discouragement for us not to say the truth. It certainly wasn't for Jesus. And I think that's our example here is for us to follow after that example that Christ sets for us. And for us, we have to be those light bearers in this world. I don't, I ask my, my engineers that I work with sometimes, I ask them the question, um, if you don't do that, who's going to do it? Right, they have really good ideas. Somebody should be checking after this. You're right, absolutely. If you don't do that, who do you suppose is gonna come along in this process and do that? And I think that's a great example for us as believers. When we see those sorts of situations where light needs to be uh, shined into those situations. I don't think it's by accident that we see those situations in our lives. Right? That's, that's one of the things that I, I firmly believe is that the situations where things are needed or that we are exposed to some of those situations that we pray about and the Lord reveals something to us. I don't think that's by accident. I think we have an obligation there to share the light in a loving way. Right? I'm not saying you go up to, the, to somebody and smack them over the head with the Bible and you'd be like, Deuteronomy 1.30, right? That's not how I think we're supposed to do that. I never saw Christ do that um, as an example. If he did, I'll talk to you after the service. But I think we need to do it in a loving way, but we also need to make sure that we're not backing off of that. I think our society and our culture kind of influences us to do that. I know for myself, I grew up in this area when I was little. 
one of the things that I've now reconciled as an adult was kind of the public schooling system and the way that I was taught as a child was this acceptance, this universal acceptance and, and universal respect of everything and that everything must be given credence, right? Everything must be respected in one way or another. And I think that's, at least for me, sometimes how we get off track there. I don't see that as a biblical example. I see that we are to love, but I don't see that we are to, to take the beliefs of others and, and somehow give those a place in our heart or in our lives. I think as believers, we have to make sure that we, we stay on track with the word and we follow what the Bible tells us to do, not what our society tells us. So then we move on to uh, starting with verse number 22. The shepherd knows his sheep. And so we start out here during the Feast of Dedication. Uh, this was just as an aside. Uh, this is in reference to the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem. It's Ezra 6, 15 through 17. Uh, but it's, it's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah time. So in verse 24, we can see that they say, uh, verse 24 says, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Right? Um, to me, I don't think that they misunderstood this, right? They just didn't like the answer. That's really what's going on here is we don't like what you had to say, so we want you to say it to us in another way. And they were really looking for him to say it outright. They were looking for him to get involved in the political context of what it meant to call himself Christ or the Messiah because there was political context that went on in this time. I think we can all... Imagine right now, especially a couple of years ago, there was a lot of entrapment going on in our society where you would bring an evangelical leader or somebody onto television and there were particular questions that the news media would ask them, right? Those were political hot topics. How do you feel about gay marriage? That was one of them that I saw the, the news media try to trap people in on a regular basis. And I think that's the sort of situation that's going on here. They're trying to entrap him. We know that. I guess it's funny because... I once again think about business context. When you talk to somebody and you give them an answer that they don't like. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but you've told somebody they don't want to hear and they just pretend like they didn't hear it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's not a new trick, but a lot of the times I'll say something, especially in email, I'll be like, well, here's how we'll have to handle this. And they'll say, yeah, why don't we schedule a meeting? That's that is our current social context for, I didn't like what I heard, right? They could go back and read my email. They choose, why don't we schedule a meeting about that? Because that doesn't really sit well with me. They pretend like they don't hear that. Or, or yeah, you know what? We should really discuss that further. Or my favorite, why don't we table that? And that really means, I don't like what you said. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, they wanted him to say that he was the Christ. That's what they were after. We can see back in chapter 9, verse 22, and this is where we're going to hit back on what was going on with the blind man's parents. There's an explanation of the implications of saying outright that he was Christ. So what's happening there in, in chapter 9, verse 22, is the blind man's parents are being interrogated about how he was healed. Pharisees are unhappy about this. As I mentioned before, their, their answer was, they don't know. Hey, it could be whatever. Why don't you ask our son? They didn't want any responsibility. And they said these things because they feared the Jews. That's why. I think they knew. They feared the Jews. They had agreed that anyone who confessed 
that he was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. They were going to lose their place in what made them feel comfortable. Right? That wasn't something that they wanted to do. So they practiced some avoidance here. I'm not really sure. I'm not really denying Christ, but I'm not really accepting Christ either. And outright, they were just denying. But I think that we can see that the Pharisees were definitely just thugs. I mean, that's just my opinion. But we see that a lot of the place. We learn in John chapter 12, 42 and 43, this is what's said. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Capital him, right? We're talking about Jesus. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And this is the really, really important point, the dividing factor here. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That really just cuts right at the heart of what's going on here. They love the praise of men. They wanted to feel comfortable in this little area in their body. And they wanted to, to have their flesh fulfilled. I can say from my own experience, it's not always comfortable to follow after what Christ would have us to do in our lives. I don't think that we're ever told that flesh-wise it's going to be super comfortable for us. Oftentimes, we're put in some awkward positions. Case in point, I am here, right? I've never spoken in front of people before, right? And I, I just tell you as an aside, the morning that Blake asked me to speak, I had been in my car driving, going, yeah, Lord's had me lead in worship. That's cool. Ooh, you know, most guys that lead worship end up speaking. Well, Lord, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm doing fine, just leading worship, doing songs. It's all good, you know. That's not an area that I really need to worry about. And I felt some conviction out of that. I think we all know what that conviction feels like, right? It's like, I need to revisit that. And I think a lot of us, we don't like what we hear. So we're like, uh, Lord, I'll pray about that, right? That's our way of, of saying that back to God, that, but we have to be polite about it, right? I don't think most of us are as bold as, was it Moses that was bold in asking, right? Most of us don't do that. We're like, oh yeah, God, that's really important. I should pray about that, God. Right? Can you imagine if that happened in one of our regular conversations? Wow, that is crazy. I should talk to you about that. Man, but at another point, uh, yeah, let's table that. That's right, Chris. At another point, we should come back together and talk about it. I know that we're here and it's both of us and we could just have a conversation about it right now, but I'm not feeling it. I don't want to address it emotionally right now. So I'll pray about it, God, and I'll get back to you. I'll talk to you through your other channel. I know you sent me an email. I'll give you a call, right? So that's kind of the situation that, that we're faced with there, but when I got here, so I have the, that whole experience going on in my car, and I got here, and I didn't say anything to anybody about it, and Blake, I firmly believe he prays about everything that he does when he, when he's in the mornings. Sunday mornings, if you haven't been here early, let me encourage you to get here early, and I hope Blake listens to this, um, because Blake is very interesting on Sunday mornings, right? I've had several interesting encounters with Blake, but I know he's been praying, and he comes up to me randomly the timing of the Lord, right? But to me, randomly. And he goes, hey, you ever thought about speaking? And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I knew where his inside information came from, but I was kind of in disbelief, right? Where did he get that idea from? And I said, what makes you ask, right? Hoping to find some out, right? 
he had just been talking with somebody and they were like, he has nice hair. Maybe he'd like to speak. I don't know, right? Whatever. Maybe there was some avenue other than he was talking with the Lord and the Lord was kind of like, you should say something to convict him of what I told him about in his car, right? So anyway, my point behind saying that is it's not always comfortable to follow after what Christ has us to do, but it is important that we obey. And that's, that is, I don't know, if we miss everything else about what we talk about this morning, that obedience is what's underscored here. Jesus was being obedient for us. Could you imagine if Jesus had our attitude about obedience sometime? Hey, I know I'm supposed to die on the cross for these folks. Let me pray about that, God. Hey, I'll get back to you on that. I hear you. He did ask if there was another way, right? But he knew what was going to happen. He knew the will of his father and he was obedient in it. And we're commanded to do the same thing. Jesus' response here as we move into uh, verse number 25 is very important. Because he said, I told you. We already kind of touched on this just a bit. But he did not want to get into the political implications of saying he was the Christ. Right? We talked about that. There's, you could be put out of the synagogue. It would have caused all sorts of other problems. I personally believe that just wasn't his focus at the time. Right? It was going to cause all this side situation that wasn't important to what he needed to do at this time. So he avoided saying that. Um, he avoided saying it outright. They did understand. Or they got the message. It wasn't that they didn't understand. But they didn't, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to understand it. Um, and verse 27 is especially important because it says, I know them and they know me. Right? He's specifically talking about the, the Pharisees not being followers of Christ not actually following after what God would have them to do. He just lays it out, right? He's not, he's not trying to sugarcoat it. He wouldn't say their trigger phrase, right? He didn't want to say, he didn't want to play right into their hands. But they knew exactly what he was saying. He knew that they knew that he knew that they knew, right? Everybody was on the same page here. They just needed the specific words said and they weren't able to entrap him. Um, I, I think that it's really important here that we also see that he reconfirms um, the position of his, of his sheep, he reconfirms his position with the father here. In verse 29, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. And I think it's really important that we focus on SS, you guys, right? It's not just them at that time, but that also applies to us. I think it's really important that we not miss as believers that we are held in Christ. We are in his hands. We're not just floating around in Christ. And this came up one Thursday night. We were talking about something. And, and I, I don't even remember what situation led up to it. But that was really when we, we started talking about it. It's come up on Wednesday night as well. But we need to understand and we need to realize that we are held in Christ. It's not some floating around that's going on. And, you know, God kind of finds us in some bubble and pulls us out and says, okay, go be a missionary in Africa now. Here, you know, I think that's a, I don't know. Growing up, having gone to a Baptist church, that was like everybody's fear because they always get the teens, right? Get everybody all interested in missions, right? Everybody's like, well, I don't know if I really want to pray about it because God might send me to Africa. Blake doesn't seem to think Africa is that bad. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I think it's really important that where we are today, we are held in Christ. It's not an accident where we've ended up. It's not an accident where we, if we're following after God's will for our lives, if we're praying about that and we're being obedient, it's not an accident where we are. And the enemy would seek to undermine that for us, right? Where we stand, 
Oh, I'm not qualified. I know I felt that way before in my job. I felt that way personally. I'm not qualified to do that. First time I was asked to lead worship, I'm not qualified to do that. I think that that's a, that's a trick from the enemy. That's deceit. That's something that the enemy tries to plant into our hearts so that we won't be obedient, so that we make up all the excuses, so that we'll say to God, I'll call you back about that, and then we never do, right? We have to be really careful about that. I gotta move along because we're almost out of time. So then they get upset. They're pretty unhappy with what was going on. So they decide that they're gonna stone him. So verse 31 They took up some stones against him um, because they got angry. And Jesus just kind of comes back and says to them uh, in verse 34, he's talking about gods. And I want to make sure that we don't miss this point. It's gods with a little g. And he's really talking about, we can draw this from Psalm 82. He's talking about the judges from the Old Testament. They were called gods and they were making decisions through the word of God. So we see that that's what he's talking about here um, when he said, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you not say of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. So he's talking about these folks in the Old Testament in Psalm 82 were not me. They weren't actually called by the father. They did receive the word and you called them gods and you call me blasphemous for saying that he is the son of God. And so he's just kind of calling them out in their their circular references. I think we can all just kind of attest to how that occurs in our current culture right now. Wait a second, you say this, but, and that's exactly what's going on. I think it's really interesting that we see that there's not a lot of end to the, to the tactics that are used in deception and by the enemy. It's circular, right? There, there are only so many tricks in the book. And so we see that today. We see that was going on here. And so he says, if they weren't justified in being called gods, how can you make a case against me? And they got it this time. I think they were out of words, right? (laughs) They fully understood. They had no more arguments. And so they're like, fine, I'm just going to hit you. That's basically what they said, right? They were just upset. I think that happens too, right? You ever seen people fight? Somebody says something. They're like, wow, he's right. And and that's what's going to go on here. They're trying to stone him. He got away from that. I think that that's, uh, you know, that was what was supposed to occur at that time. But they were out of arguments. They were done and they just wanted some action here. And I think we see that quite a bit, right? People just get upset. They're wrong. They want their activity. I see that in business, right? There's a, there's a motive behind what's going on, but they don't, they don't want to talk about it logically. They want to talk about it emotionally. They want to be attached to what's making them feel comfortable. And that's what they just finally got upset. And they decided that they were going to, uh, to stone him. I think it's also really important we finish up here in verse number 40. Uh, he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all these things that John spoke about uh, of this man were true. And many believed in him there. And it was his words in this situation um, that caused people to turn again to him and believe. It was this truth that was spoken in this situation. So just to kind of wrap up chapter 10 and what we're talking about here, um, you know, at least from my perspective, there's some desperation on the part of the Pharisees, Right? They, they liked their lavish lifestyles. They didn't like that Jesus was coming in trying to cramp what they were doing, right? He's just coming along, telling them the truth, right? But they didn't want to receive it that way. They're painting it in a different light. They're not focusing on, I, I don't know. I, I've often thought about what if I had been a Pharisee, right? What was the actual thinking? Because I don't think any of us are beyond that. As soon as we conclude that we are, and we're, we're guilty of allowing the enemy to have a foothold in our lives, 
Um, but, you know, what if that had been me, right? What if I were the one not believing him? I, I find it amazing. We're, we're here. We have all this knowledge now from the Bible. Thank the Lord, right? But we couldn't look back on some of this. I mean, they had their knowledge. They had the books that they could look at, but we didn't have the New Testament. Um, but what if that had been me? You know, thank the Lord that that's not me. That's not us. Um, and that we weren't caught up in that. But they were comfortable in their lifestyle. Um, they had made up a false idea of the path to God. And they liked it. They wanted to keep it that way because it made them feel good. I think this is a warning to all of us about the rituals of men. Getting caught up in that. Not being engaged with the word. Not being engaged in our relationship and being obedient to what God would have us to do in our lives through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that's something that we really have to focus on. And I don't think that's a one-time thing. I know growing up, it's kind of, you know, like there's this idea in church, you just ring them in, right? Get them in, get them saved. All right, we're all good. No. Bring people in. Let them meet with Jesus. There's some saving that goes on there, not by the hands of man. And then there's renewal that goes on there constantly. It's a relationship. It's not a one-time thing. You don't just go get your Jesus pass and move along, right? There needs to be a relationship. And that's talked about here in this chapter. There's got to be obedience. And I'm not sure how you conclude that there's obedience if there's not actually a relationship that goes on. They heard what Jesus said, but they didn't want to listen to him. They just decided that they wanted to kill him. And I think it's really important that they had decided that they wanted to kill the one who came to even save them. But they rejected that. I don't know how they missed the part of the fact that they needed to be saved because that was Old Testament, right? For the wages of sin is death. But they missed that. They wanted to kill him. They wanted nothing to do with him. And he's even foretold in the scripture. But they were caught up in their world of self-importance. And it blinded them. They'd allowed the enemy to come in and to harden their hearts towards that. And I thank God that, that we are not caught up in that. Um, we could be. But I pray that for every one of us, that we not be caught up in that. And that's on us to examine our hearts. That we're acting in obedience in our lives. We need to follow our true and good shepherd. He cares about us, despite what anybody else would have you to believe. And I've read across some really weird Christian blogs. I don't know if it's because blogs are out there on the internet now. We can kind of know some of the very peculiar ideas that other people who profess to be brothers and sisters would say. But this idea that Jesus doesn't care about us and doesn't have an investment in us is untrue. And that is a lie from the enemy. And if you believe that this morning, I want you to pray about that. And if you need to pray with somebody, we'll make somebody available to you. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. We have a loving relationship with our good shepherd. He goes before us and he defends us in our walk. And he desires that we should follow him. There's not a desire that, you know, he goes on ahead and we just kind of languish and God doesn't really want to touch us. I think that sometimes happens to us as believers, that we feel like we can kind of hide from God. Oh, I'm not going to be real fervent in my walk right now and this time in my life, God. I'll call you back later. God will eventually get a hold of you one way or another. I guess for me, I'd rather it be while I'm young and can experience more of his fulfillment in my life. There's never, it's not too late until we've decided that we're not going to follow after God completely. He gives us an excellent example of his obedience. He followed after what the Father commanded him to do. He laid down his life, and there's no greater love than that. Praise the Lord that we're held in Christ. That's an active statement. It's, it's not a passive statement. And if we've surrendered to God's will in our lives and our, we have a willingness to follow, um, then 
then we can have that trust in God that he has good things in store for us, right? It's not, I mean, maybe we will end up in Africa as missionaries, right? I guess that's, <laughs> I'm probably never gonna let go of that as long as I live um, because that was instilled in me at a young age, right? Like 10 to 12 years old, right? Being scared about going to Africa, but I know. If I got malaria and died from it, I'd see him sooner. So I guess it's not all that bad, right? Um, but we have to be open to what God would have for our lives. Um, just really quick, one more thing I want to share with you is that there have been a lot of situations in my life where I have not been open to God, right? And there's conviction that comes out of that. But one of those is me moving to this area. And I had been in my job for 12 years in Greenville, South Carolina. And through prayer, I started looking for another job. Now, I was originally born here, as I mentioned. I moved away when I was 10. Um, I did not want to originally come back to this area. Sorry, Dad, but <laughs> I wasn't seeking to come to this area. I had been here. I made up all the reasons why traffic, cost of living. I thought finding a job would be really hard here and certain other things, right? I didn't, I just, you know. We looked for jobs all over the Southeast in different areas, including Charleston and Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte and Raleigh, North Carolina. And I got desperate enough to even look in California. That's how desperate I was, right? It wasn't until I stopped putting that barrier in place and the Lord convicted me um, about what I was doing. Because see, I had set a barrier up with God. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll be obedient as long as it doesn't end in comma G-A, right? That's what I had said. I was making up these rules and that wasn't obedience, right? That was me setting conditions with God. That wasn't full obedience. It wasn't until I took that away and realized that I needed to be convicted of that, that the Lord started making traction in my life in that area. When I said, all right, God, if it does include Georgia, and guess where it ended up being, right? That I would end up moving and taking a job. It was here. The one place that I had been like, no, God, I'm not going to go there. And I've been so blessed ever since I moved here. Um, I don't, you know, you can look back on those things and you kind of wonder, why did, what was going on? What was something wrong up here, right? We set up those little barriers in our heart. But there's no doubt that Christ opened the door for me to be here. I feel like the Lord has really blessed me and my family for being here out of that obedience. And I think we all constantly struggle with that, right? It's a, it's a situation where we have to talk to our flesh every time one of those things comes up, where we have to go, I'm going to choose to be obedient in this situation. We have our example, we see what we need to do. And it's that that argument that goes on inside of us with our flesh. Hush you, right? Paul gives us a really good example of that because he says daily he has to die to his flesh. And I think that's still true, right? A lot of us would like to think that we die once to our flesh, but that's not what happens, right? We have constant struggle going on because we're fallen and we have a sin nature, but we are called to be in an obedient relationship with Christ. I think that comes through prayer. I think that comes through the word. Those are things that I desire for you. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, come talk to one of us. Allow the Lord to lead you in that. If you do have a relationship with Christ, step it up, right? What are you scared of? Let me just ask you that question, right? What exactly is it that you're scared of? If you're held in Christ, what are you scared of? He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And there's going to be that fulfillment. He desires good things for us. He's a good shepherd. We got something to look forward to. And when we don't, we're robbing ourselves, right? We're allowing the enemy to rob us of a situation. I pray that the Lord would reveal that to you when that comes up the next time, because it's coming, right? Might be 
five minutes from now. It might be tomorrow, whenever it is, whenever the Lord would have that show up in your life. And I pray that you would just meditate on that. Allow the Lord to work. Worship team, you want to make your way up here? Lord, we thank you so much that you are a good shepherd, Father. We just thank you that you do desire good things for us, Father. I pray for everybody in this place, Lord, that you would help us to take that into our heart, that you would help us to meditate on that, Father, that we would be encouraged by that this morning, that you give us strength in that, Lord. I pray that we would all come to know the fullness of God in our lives, Father, in obedience to you. We just pray for your strength. We pray for your peace in our lives. We pray that uh, when those deceptions do show up from the enemy, Father, that we turn to you and we remain obedient despite what we might see, what it might look like. And Lord, I also pray that we not get caught up in satisfying our flesh. There are a lot of convenient ways in our culture to satisfy our flesh, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just make it true in our lives, uh, that we follow after you, uh, that we not seek to desire our fleshly gain, but that we seek to desire in our relationship with you. We thank you and we praise you that you are a good shepherd. In Jesus' name.